Well, hi there, and welcome to Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode, and I'm so glad you're joining me. I want to take a minute before we get started and invite you to head over to our socials, Facebook and Instagram. Follow or like us at Women of the Word CTW. This is our umbrella account that covers and highlights this podcast, Unshaken, our blog called Planted, our mom-to-mom ministry aimed at encouraging mothers in the work they do, and also our Regarding Him conference that happens yearly in March. There is so much good content on these socials, you are not going to want to miss it, so go follow them today. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast directory, like Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, CastBox. It helps us out and it also helps you out because you get notifications of new episodes that drop each and every Thursday. You can also reach out to us at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you if you ever have any ideas, suggestions, or thoughts about an episode. Or maybe you just want to tell me about something that you heard on an episode and how it impacted you. Finally, Unshaken is a podcast for women, put on by women, and our goal is to encourage and challenge and point women to Jesus Christ. And as you know, with Jesus, we can be unshaken no matter our circumstances. Hey, let's jump right into our episode today. Do you ever just have some questions about mothering that you'd really like to get answered? For example, maybe you'd like to know how to keep your toddler happy on a long car ride. Or maybe you're wondering how to help your third grader learn their math facts. Or maybe you're thinking, how can I ever teach my 15 and a half year old how to drive? Or maybe you're just trying to figure out how to get all the things done that are on your to-do list that's as long as your toilet paper roll. Well, I'm sure we've all had questions like this. And well, questions are good and they need to be answered. And I'm guessing that you have your own list of questions that you would ask a seasoned mom. Well, today is a great day for you. Well, today we're going to listen to our October 2022 Mom to Mom meeting. We are going to listen to a panel of women talk and answer questions about these sorts of things. Questions that actual moms asked. I know it's going to be great. Let's jump right in. Okay. Good morning, everyone. I am so excited to um, get to introduce our panel, our Seasons of Motherhood panel. Um, they have been preparing for the last several weeks, um, answering your questions that you have submitted. There were tons of really great questions, so thank you for doing that. Um, I wanted to tell you that we actually won't even be able to cover all of the questions. That's how many there were. Um, But we have some talks coming up this year that are going to cover some of those questions. So um, don't worry. We will specifically be having a talk about marriage and having fun, a date night type um, talk, which I'm really excited about. So we'll be covering that later this year. Um, as well as um, a talk specifically on discipline. So um, we're excited about that. Um, Let's see here. So now I'm going to introduce our panel. So if you guys could just say your name, a little bit about yourself and your family, that would be great. We can start with Mackenzie. Um, Yeah, I'm Mackenzie Arndt. Um, I'm married to Jordan. Uh, We've been married for seven years and have four kids, 
Um, my oldest is six, and then I have an almost five, an almost three, and an almost one. So their birthdays are coming soon. Um, and I am homeschooling. So, great. Okay, so my name is Adrienne McClavick, and I've been married to Matt for 31 years. And we have six kids, ranging in age from 30 down to 12, and I have nine grandkids so far. I'm Andrea Van Engen. Um, I'm married to Andrew, and we have five kids. The oldest is 10, the youngest is three. Um, I homeschool them, and we use um, our assist program that we have through church here. So most of them are over there in class today. But um, yeah, that's about it. Great. Well, we're excited to get started, so we'll jump right in. Um, okay, so the first question is, um, how do you maintain godly friendships with busy schedules? And we'll start with Andrea. Yeah. Well, I think the obvious question is come to mom to mom, right? <laughs> um, no, I'm glad this question was asked because I think it is important. And I think the idea of friendship can kind of be overlooked as we get busy with our kids. So um, two things that I try to keep in mind are proper expectations and purpose. Um, my expectations of what a godly friendship should look like have had to change over the years. You know, maintaining friendships um, prior to kids could look like spending hours at a time at a coffee shop, just sitting and talking. And that sounds lovely, doesn't it? Um, and I could do that on a regular basis, you know, not only because I had more time, but also I just did what I wanted with my time. No one else was really pulling on that. Um, but as a mom who has duties both inside and outside of the home, my expectations, um, you know, have had to change about that. I don't have time to do that on a regular basis anymore. It doesn't mean that it never happens. I, off, you know, I can occasionally get away and sit at a coffee shop with a friend, but um, the frequency is less. So having proper expectations of that prevents disappointments, and it also encourages creativity in how I am going to spend time with friends. So um, some of these ways on a practical level are being in Bible study with other women. I, you know, for two hours each week, I'm with a group of women. Um, having my friend and her whole family over for dinner. I get to talk to her then, spend time with them, get to know her kids. Um, you know, meeting a friend at a park or a zoo. I'm sure you guys do these things already, and you know that when the kids are playing, then you can actually have a conversation. It might not be completely uninterrupted, but at least you're spending time together, and, and you can have that connection there. So don't think of going to the park with, as a, for a play date as not hanging out with your friend, like, you know, maybe that's where the expectation needs to change a little bit. Um, and so another aspect is purpose. What is my purpose in friendship? I have had to reevaluate that over the years. Um, you know, that pre-kid coffee shop talking, I had a whole lot of time to just talk about myself and or nothing really important much at all. But now when I know that my time is short with a friend, I know that I need to be much more intentional with our conversation and I want it to be productive and, and helpful. So when my purpose changes from what can I tell you about me and what can I get out of this to how are you? What are you doing? How can I serve my friend? Um, I actually walk away more fulfilled from that and of course the friendship is, is strengthened. Um, and so another, another thing that I've just kind of had to realize is my time with friends doesn't have to be you know, super fun, laughing, like this amazing experience, right? That's something that we have to maybe reevaluate when we think about friendships. 
um, some practical ways that, um, other than the play dates and all of that. Over the past year, I've done these three things that I'm gonna share. Um, study a book together with a friend, memorize scripture with a friend, or have like an ongoing text thread of what you're learning from the Bible throughout the week. Um, like I said, I've done all three of these things over the past year, and all these friendships have really deepened and become very, very dear blessings to me. Great, thank you very much. Um, the next question is geared towards those with um, littles. Um, how seriously should we take morning and afternoon naps? When kids are little, how do you get out of the house when your kids still need naps? <laughs> Mackenzie, you want to take this one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I kind of laughed when I read this question because I used to like that you like not getting naps. That was something that kind of drove me nuts. Like they have to get a nap, um, but that was like my first child thing because <laughs> um, you are able to do more naps when you only have the less kids you have the easier it is um, to, to get them their naps and um, and obviously naps are good for our kids I don't think I have to you know make that point known we know that our children need naps and so I think there are ways that I've learned to accommodate their naps um, by thinking ahead in my week, like what, what, is, what is coming and how can I be efficient with my time so that I can get the kids down to naps, even if they're napping at different times during the day. Like, I don't think it's essential, like, to have them go to bed at the same time. Like, as long as they're getting a nap, it can shift around depending on, you know, what you're doing. So I do try to, like, think through, okay, when do I, when am I going to the grocery store? When do I have to do these other errands? And trying to um, just make the best use of my time so I'm not continually disrupting a nap unnecessarily. Um, but with that being said, I think it is an easy thing. It was an easy thing for me to, you, you can be selfish with your time and with your schedule um, with the use of children's naps. Like it, it can actually become a selfish thing by saying, well, I can't do this. I'm, I, I need to stay home. I, I'm not gonna do that because I have nap time. I have children that need to sleep. Um, and so I, I think it is important to be on guard against a, a selfish attitude with your family in that way. Um, and, and I have found it helpful to think of, okay, well, if I'm missing, missing naps for for a good thing, then I'm actually able to teach my children through this that other people um, are important. Um, and it shows your kids too what you value as a family. Like if, you know, if, if, if your life isn't only revolving around their needs and their schedules, they're seeing that you love other people. Um, and so when, when naps are delayed or missed because you've gone to a Bible study, um, because you took a meal to someone who needed it, um, when you're, you know, visiting, I think visiting grandparents, you know, that will often fall into like nap time. Um, um, you're teaching your children scripturally what it means to love other people. And so I thought of Ephesians 2, 4, when it says, don't look merely out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And so that's a practice for myself, but it's also something that the kids learn through, through this. Um, so that's what I would encourage is think about how you can teach your kids to love other people and they're not the center of your, of your 
universe. Like, they're pretty durable. Like, they're going to be okay. Um, a few missnaps isn't the end of the world. Um, and then you can be creative, too. Like, sometimes I think, okay, where am I going? Could I lay the baby down for a nap there? Like, I wouldn't think, oh, it's an imposition to say, could I put my baby down? Like, nobody cares. That's fine. Um, I don't do this anymore. Maybe I should. I used to carry a pack and play everywhere I went. There was always one in my van. So, you know, if I was somewhere, I could just grab it. And, oh, I've got a pack and play. Can I just stick them over here? And people are happy for you to do that. Thank you. That was really practical. Um, okay, so moving on to um, some older, um, addressing some older kids' needs. How do you help teens navigate dating and crushes? I know this is a big topic. So, yes. Adrienne, if you could do your best. Okay, here. well, I will say those are two different things. Okay. Crushes and dating. And I, True. Crushes happen way before you think they should. Like, little kids can have crushes. And um, I think that it's, you know, I think crushes are really entertaining dinner conversation, for example, because it just gets you talking about these things at a young age and in a fun way. And I actually knew a woman whose family just, they were very strict about their boys were not allowed to talk about girls because they felt like it was, you know, putting, they were objectifying the girls somehow. They were you know, like um, the crush was not respecting them. So they just outlawed it. And I knew them long enough that I saw them as they went into adolescence and early adulthood, and it was a train wreck. Like they just, they, it was an off topic, um, com you know, topic converse of conversation, and that did not bear good fruit. So um, dating is, you know, a heavier topic than crushes. And um, there's a lot of controversy about, I mean, I would think in a group this size, there would be people who have very strong opinions about what constitutes appropriate dating. And there'll be people who, you know, the courting method is the way to go for a while. You know, among Christian circles, that was it. And um, some, of, some people still adhere to that. And some people, um, you know, would instead would just really focus on a, a hard, specific age limit. You know, there's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opinions about this topic, but um, while we differ about the methods, um, I think there are a couple principles that we've stressed, and I'll share two of the biggest ones. And the first one, it comes from the Song of Solomon, where it actually says three times in the Song of Solomon, do not awaken love before its time. And um, this is really a warning about entering romantic relationships at the wrong time. And obviously, it doesn't say what the wrong time is, but, you know, for example, if, you know, if we enter into romantic relationships at too young of an age, there's really a looking for love and satisfaction in a way that, you know, is directed towards a girlfriend or a boyfriend when really they should be developing relationships with um, peers, parents, the Lord, you know, and it takes the focus off that to this intensity um, on a girlfriend, a boyfriend, and also, you know, the idea of serial dating, um, repeated recreational dating sort of attaches a deep emotion to something where the commitment is not um, at the right appropriate level with that. So, and then of course, awakening love before its time is really a warning about sexual purity. And 
the earlier, the younger, you know, it's, it's hard to maintain sexual purity. And that would be the second principle that we stress because the Bible is not wishy-washy about that. It's just an assumption that there is sex within a man and a woman in marriage. Like that is the context in which it is to take place biblically. And that's all the, you know, the verses about that assume it even. So, you know, I think we have to realize that once a couple starts dating, my husband always says, once you start dating, it's a train on a track and it's going somewhere. So in terms of sexual purity, um, you know, if you start out holding hands and, oh, you know, the first few times you hold hands, there's just all these butterflies in your stomach and it's a thrill and that wears off. And then you get the same butterflies and thrill of maybe you're, you're long lingering hugging and then you start kissing and it's just always progressive because, you know, you're seeking that next, the thrill that will maintain you. And so, you know, we want to set hard and fast rules and I will say even with hard and fast rules in terms of dating, it really does depend on some factors. I'm just gonna give not the current examples in my house that we have dating because that would be awkward. <laughs> but I refer to my older children who dated and are now remarried. And my son Nathan's, I asked Audrey if I could, so. Um, my son Nathan and his wife, they started dating when, as he was finishing up his master's degree. Um, and then he moved back here, and th from the time that they started dating to the time they were actually married was six months. So that's, that's one situation. The other situation would be my daughter, Audrey, and her husband who started dating their senior year in high school. And they dated for three years. So you might think, oh, well, how do you maintain sexual purity for three years? And the way you, the emphasis was you don't touch each other. And I know other young couples in our church who are dating, you know, at younger ages like that, and the rule is you just don't touch each other because then that doesn't start the train in the same way. And you might think, oh, well, how do you date for three years and not touch each other? And it's possible. I mean, I think it, it you know, you're developing self-control in ways that will serve you well as a married person, for one, and, um, you know, it's there's accountability, and I mean, they laughed, because sometimes I would check, you know, I'd be like, <laughs> peeking, oh yeah, they're sitting this far apart on the couch, you know, like, um, <laughs> but there's, you know, there's, there's a lot at stake, and I would say um, that that is, the, that is the two things that we've encouraged in our home, or emphasized, don't awaken love before it's time, and sexual purity is of utmost importance. And, you know, you need to be talking and talking, and the doors need to be open, so there's comfortable relationships there to converse about that, be interested, ask questions. And the last thing I would say is develop an interest and a good rapport with whoever it is that they're dating. Because you, it really, they could end up being your daughter-in-law or son-in-law, so you don't, you want to focus on that and have that be a warm relationship. Thank you, Adrian. Yeah. That was very concise. I love what you said about um, principles and methods. I was just reading um, Fruit of Our Hands. I don't know if anyone's read that book, but she, that's, she talks about principles and methods, mm -hmm. um, how our methods may differ, but our principles um, need to be grounded in Scripture, and those are what are going to be the same. Um, so um, the next question here is, um, what are some ways to encourage my husband during tough seasons of work? Yes, um, I've been in this boat before. And I know the, the toughness, whatever, whoever wrote this question might have a certain idea in mind, but um, 
I've been through tough seasons of frequent travel where he's been gone a lot and that's hard on him. It's also hard on the family, but hard on him. Um, new job that, you know, not sure about. Um, when his job changed drastically, this was recently, um, without his approval or desires. And so, of course, it could um, include relational issues at work with your boss or coworkers. So whatever the context, there's lots of tough seasons um, that our husbands could go through. And so as I was thinking about this, um, I just kind of have a list of things. Vocalize that you appreciate his work. Don't complain to him about his work, either the fact that it's taking him away or that he's being treated unfairly. You know, even if you think that's the case, don't, don't complain about that. That's not going to help him. Just let him know that you're thankful for how he provides for you and the family. Another thing is highlight the things that you see him doing well in. Um, whether, you know, just in all of life, even if it's not work-related. Be sure he understands that he has your full support in this situation, whether that means that he might need to look for a new job or address the issue with his boss or whatever the case may be. Don't let fear rule in your heart about what the outcome might be um, and let that keep you from supporting him and what he feels like he needs to be doing. Make sure um, that he understands he has your support in that. Um, another thing is make sure that home is a special place for him. Kind of a retreat from all the stress and the whatever it is that is happening at work. Um, if he feels tired and defeated from his day on the job, then you want him to come home and that be a place where he is refreshed and encouraged and know that he is appreciated. Um, this is also a time where you can work extra hard on making sure the kids are being obedient because... That will help him when he comes home to, um, you know, not have the chaos of, of house and disobedient kids around. Um, plan some fun things, okay? And this tough season of work, you know, it seems like joy can kind of be sucked out of all areas of life when this is weighing heavy on your husband. Um, I think a lot of that is because their identity, a lot of their identity is kind of rooted in their work. And so show him, help him to have fun and joy within this hard season. Um, plan some date nights, maybe get away for the weekend, some things like that. Um, ask how you can pray for him, and then actually do it, and let him know that you're doing it. That will encourage him. And even if you have to find the smallest thing to encourage him about, encourage, encourage, encourage. Hopefully he will be receiving encouragement from friends and other people that um, are aware of his situation, but your encouragement is always the best, so make sure that he feels encouraged by you. Thank you. Um, how do you discipline complaining toddlers and infants? Um, for example, complaining, yelling, crying for not getting what they want. <laughs> because none of us have dealt with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, oh man, I got the discipline question. Um, <laughs> um, so I'm glad to hear that we're going to have another meeting of this because this is such a, a, a large From your mother-in-law. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, so, so, so this is a question about discipline. Um, so I wanted to start by reading Hebrews 12:11 that says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so, um, I mean, Scripture says right here, this is hard. Discipline is hard work. Um, 
but we're called to do it. Scripture calls us to discipline our children um, and also encourages us by saying, this is going to bless you. This is a good thing for your family, for your, for your kids. Um, it says, I'll just read the second. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So this is a good, discipline is a good thing, though it is hard. Um, and, and thinking of discipline, um, training our children to obey um, you, we want to train our children to obey us as their earthly parents in prayer that as they grow, they desire to obey their heavenly father. Um, and so, you know, the prayer is that as we teach them to obey, they see the need to obey God as they grow older and begin to understand more. Um, and also training is just, uh, disciplined children is for their safety, there's lots of things that are dangerous to our kids, and um, it's dangerous to them if they are not going to obey. Um, and then discipline, I just want to say again, disciplined children bring joy. And so you do see the fruit, and we have seen the fruit in our family of going through hard work and hard seasons of discipline with children and, and then seeing God work and soften their hearts and, and seeing a desire in them to obey. Um, so before I, I go into any more, because there, there are principles and there's methods and these are going to vary, um, but so I, I'm, I'm trying to be careful in, in what I say and I want to be clear that I am not trying to prescribe a formula that you can just perform on your children. Like, I think we want that. We want, just tell me what to do. Like, I need this little list, and if I just follow this checklist, then my kids are going to be fine. Um, but that's just not, that's not how it works. Um, and so I just want to emphasize that as, as we work to parent and to train our children, um, the importance of praying for them, praying that God uses what we're doing, that God gives us wisdom in our training of our children, and that God softens their heart, that God brings them to obey. Um, and so our hope needs to be in Christ and not in our methods of disciplining our children. Um, so, so some things that, that we have found helpful in teaching our kids, um, this is moving into more like methods, uh, but um, clear commands. I came up with these three. They're clear commands, consistency, and consequences. So I was like, they all start with C's. This is great. Um, so clear commands. Um, we have found it helpful for our kids in giving short, clear commands. Um, when I am giving an instruction or a command to my child that is ambiguous, when I am got this long sentence of instruction and it's sort of confusing and I don't even know what I'm asking them because... I don't really want to deal with it, you know, but so then they don't know what's being expected of them. Um, so it's helpful to think, okay, is my instruction clear? It's helpful to them and it's helpful to me because then I know what it is that I've asked them to do or not do. Um, so that's clear commands are very helpful in identifying what's going on. Um, so then consistency. So giving clear commands, but being consistent in those commands that you've given. Um, 
and this is hard with the more kids you have, consistency is, a, is just very hard. Like you're so distracted, there's so much going on. And me remembering, oh, I need, you know, I need to be consistent here, it, it is hard. Um, um, and I, when I've realized I haven't been consistent I've, is when I've been out, not at home, somewhere else, and I see my kid, I'm like, what are, what are you doing? Stop, <laughs> stop doing that. And, and I think, well, why are they doing that? And I, oh, well, at home, I haven't been consistent in correcting that behavior. I've been letting it go there. Why would I expect anything different when I'm away from home? So those consistencies in in your expectations for them at home, do they match your expectations for them when you're outside of your home? Um, um, so and, and consistency in teaching children that we are expecting them to honor God, that should always be the, you know, the expectation. Like, we are desiring you to honor God in your behavior and so having that clear expectation. Now, so if we've given a clear command and we're consistent and then you've said a command, so some of the commands that we have consistently used are no, come, stay, obey, just very short. So if I've done that and then they disobey, then there needs to be a consequence. Um, so the Bible speaks a lot about, about discipline. Um, so some of the verses that I wanted to share are found in Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Um, Proverbs 23, 13 through 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from death. And Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. So their scripture does speak to, to disciplining our children and the joy that it does bring. Um, so I think a big question people ask is, well, when do I, when do I start disciplining my child? Um, in our home, it will range somewhere in between the ages of six and nine months. And to some of you, that might sound terrifying, um, because they are they are young. Uh, however, they are capable of being taught simple commands um, at young ages, and they do learn very quickly. Um, now, we I usually just start with teaching the word no. Usually, it might be at a dinner table. Um, they grab your plate. You know, they always want to grab all your stuff. And so I'll start with that, you know, telling them, no, do not touch. Um, and then when they go to touch it, I smack their hand. You know, they look at you. <laughs> and it only takes a few times before you see and then you say no and they, they pull their hand back before they've even reached. They do understand. I know it sounds young, but they are um, very smart <laughs> and able to, to understand that instruction. Um, now, like I said, we start with smacking their hand. And as they get older, then we do move to spanking. But um, um, but this is for their, it's for their safety. Having them 
willing to obey you <laughs> is for their good. I'm working on training one of my my babies, so he's he's almost one. We have stairs at our new house. We just moved, and so stairs are this new scary thing to me. Like, ah, don't fall on the stairs. Um, thankfully, we have a separation in flooring. We have wood floor that comes up to the stairs and the rest of the is carpet. So there's a very clear divide in the floor. And so that's something that I've been teaching him is stay. You stay on the carpet because I don't want you falling down the stairs. And so teaching that is protecting him. And he does, he, he knows he's not supposed to go over there. And, um, and so, so I know it, it it's a lot, but, but it is for their good, and Scripture speaks to, to the blessings of it. Um, and this is a big topic, so I think that's all I'll say. But <laughs> Thank you, well. Mackenzie. <laughs> Did it justice. Um, okay, so moving into um, a little bit of a lighter topic. Um, how do you make decisions about sports? How do you manage sports if you have a lot of kids without letting it take over your whole life? Yes. Um, let me say sports have been a big part of my life and my husband's life our whole lives. So we do want our kids to experience that. Yet sports will not be as big in our kids' lives as they were in ours because of priorities. So our family's goals do not include producing collegiate athletes. Our family's goals do include serving others and contributing our time to our church body. You know, I want to be hospitable and have people in our home, and that's just not possible when you are at three different practices every day of the night of the week. So, um, what we spend our time on shows what is important to our kids, and that is something that we want to model for our kids as well. So, when you're thinking through this idea with your own family, you have to first know what are your priorities. And yet, we do value athletics, so we found some basic principles that have helped kind of guide us through this um, to give them a taste of that but not compromise our priorities. Now, a little context, we homeschool and our oldest is 10, so that does allow a little bit of flexibility compared to you know the teenage years that you're in public school and things are just kind of set for you. Um, but some of the principles we've kind of tried to follow are that they don't start a sport until second grade. No child plays multiple sports in one season. That kind of cuts down on the chaos. Um, no child takes private lessons. That might sound silly, but we just say, no, that takes up more time, and the value that comes through sports, we feel, is on team sports. So you're going to be doing a team sport. Um, we also try to have all of our kids play within the same program, and the YMCA has been super helpful in this. It's been a great asset for us. Um, right now, my 10, 9, and 7-year-old are all actually on the same soccer team, <laughs> which is a little extreme. Like, the age range is not usually that big. But it's worked out very well, and my husband is the coach, so we're all just there. <laughs> One night a week. It's great. Um, last winter, two of my kids played through the Y, again, played basketball. And so we were able to, because with the Y, you can pick your days. So we, um, they weren't on the same team, but we had their practices back-to-back. -back. So something to keep in mind of a way to utilize athletics um, before you get to the school ages. Um, like I said, our oldest is 10, so I kind of feel like we're probably starting to be coming upon where things could get a little bit crazy. But because we've established our priorities and our kids know what they are, um, they don't expect to be able to do all of the things. And so hopefully, I, I don't foresee it being a big issue as they get older. Um, 
one thing I do anticipate is that at some point they're going to have to choose, like, okay, this is your sport. You can't do all of them all year long anymore. And that's something that will probably be harder for me to let go than them. But um, it is something that, you know, you have to be willing to let go of maybe what your expectations are based on how you grew up or what you think you want them to be able to do. Um, so you have to know what your priorities are to help make these decisions. And if you're firm in those, you'll be able to find the right fit for your family. Um, a couple years ago, my son played baseball, and we were going to have my daughter play softball, but her practices were going to be on Sundays. And so even though I really wanted her to play softball, it's like, no, that's not even a question. Um, and they knew that, and that, was, that made the decision easy. Whereas if my priorities weren't in line, that probably would have been a harder decision for me. So uh, know what your priorities are, and your kids will be blessed by the parameters that you set for them in this area. Yeah, so I totally agree with everything she just said. And I'm just going to pick up a little bit from, like, the junior high and high school levels when you enter um, those years. But just in terms of an overall mindset, I would just add to what she said. Um, don't be overly impressed by your child's athletic abilities. <laughs> I've known a lot of people who really seem to be very taken up by that, and it causes them to make poor choices for their family. So that would be one thing. And, and the reality is that 2% of high school athletes go on to be collegiate athletes, and 2% of them go on to be professional athletes. So, um, you know, the chances just aren't even really that good. Um, <laughs> if, if your child does excel in sports, remember to always put that in the context of why. That it's God who gives them their physical abilities, and it's not just because they're so great. It's God. Um, and also, just from a cultural standpoint, there's so much emphasis on sports in our culture. And I read this really interesting article that was written by a Chinese mother. And she was just explaining how, like in Asian cultures, the emphasis of the parents are on academics and on music, you know, the violin and that sort of thing. And she came to America, and she was so shocked because American parents didn't seem to put the emphasis on there. They put the emphasis on sports. And it's just this cultural thing. And you, your, your child will feel as if they're missing out if they don't go hog wild on that, you know, especially if their friends are. And you might feel that you're somehow robbing them of an important rite of passage in their childhood. But some kids just aren't athletic. And sometimes you just might choose that that's not where your family's going to go. And you don't have to feel guilty about that. Um, and sports were a really huge part of my life growing up. And um, sports in the schools generally start in the seventh grade. And I understand that in some of the smaller schools, it sounds like it's a little bit still like what it was for me when I was in school. And that is you can participate in a number of sports and practices are right after school. My kids go to public school in Sylvania, and that was not the case. That's just not the case. Um, practices are rarely directly after school because they share the gym with different grades, different sports at times. So... And you have to remember, this is before they drive, you know, in junior high. And so practices often would be um, 5.30 to 7.30, or 5 to 7, 6 to 8. So it's two transports and totally messes up dinner time. So those are just considerations. So then in the high school level, it just kind of ramps up a notch. And generally, um, people who have kids in sports in high school are all in. And it does depend a little bit on the sport. But, um, I mean, 
One example, at Northview in Sylvania, the opening game for the varsity baseball season every year is in Florida. <laughs> and when I first heard that, I was just flabbergasted, and I was talking to a baseball mom, I'm like, what? Like, how do you handle that? And she was so excited, because you know, they were all gonna go down as a family, and everyone's families go down. I'm like, what? I mean, I just didn't understand. <laughs> And um, also, often, by the time you get to high school level, you're competing, your kid will be competing, not just for the spot on the team, but also for playing time against kids who really have been on travel teams since the time they were in elementary school. And travel teams are a whole other thing I'm not really going to deal with at this point, but <laughs> it's, it's really something to consider if you want to go down that route. But um, one of our sons plays basketball, and... For him, at the high school level, that was a 10-month out-of-the-year commitment. And they didn't have practices after school until varsity, when he was on the varsity team, like it, in junior year. So, and every time they had a practice on Tuesday, and this is a school sport, every time they had a, a game on Tuesday, they would have practices on Sunday. So he chose not to attend those practices, and you just don't do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had a conversation with a sports mom once, and she was saying how they took two cars to her mom's funeral because her son had to go to get to basketball practice. So the fact that he made the team, but he didn't go to the Sunday practices, I mean, we talked to the coach, and, and he, he said, well, I'm going to keep him on the team, but he's not going to get much playing time. And, and that was the cost of it. And, you know, so why do you, why did we allow him to play? Why did he want to play? It's 10 months of your commitment and daily and, you know, to sit on the bench. But I mean, really felt it was valuable. Number one, because he just loves basketball. He just, sometimes you have a kid who just loves to play. And it's just like, they love it. <laughs> and also, he's like a super intense, competitive kid. Very physical, very competitive. And this was just like a good outlet for him. So he doesn't drive us all crazy at home. <laughs> and, you know, it taught him sacrifice and humility and teamwork and how to win, and how to lose, and those are all really valuable things, depending on the kid, and if that is worth the cost. So, you know, now there's another one of my kids who is interested in doing a high school level sport, and we're talking about it, you know, it's like you just have to count the cost. Sometimes it's the right decision, but I would say you need to make that decision very prayerfully to see if it's right for your family. Thank you very much. Um, so the last question, before we move into discussion, how do you balance the holidays between extended family and your own household, like your own parents or your own kids and you, you and your husband? So I had a hard time answering this question because, well, thanks. Um, because the holidays, you know, there's so, every family looks different. Um, the holidays are busy, and so I think it is helpful proactively to, to plan ahead. And I know sometimes we get caught up in the busyness, like, oh, yeah, we need time for our family. But the more I have found, okay, if I'm going to sit down before December starts and I'm going to plan out a few activities for just my family to do, that that's helpful. Because you do need, you know, to take that time with your family. It is, it is good for your family and your kids um, to have that set apart time, especially in the holidays. Um, and so though you can be creative with different things. Um, having We've done, you know, uh, gingerbread house-making night. There's different things that you can fit in, be creative with the holidays, and maybe do those on a different day that is not the holiday day um, so that you are getting that time. Um, 
But I think that that remembering um, to be to be selfless with with the holidays and to be generous with your family um, has been helpful to us. I, it's easy for me to think, oh, I just want I don't want other people here. I want it to be just us. But but it, it's good for me to remember that the reason people want to be with us is because they love us. They love our children, and these are good things. Um, and so it is so, it's good to, to stop the, you know, the, the crazy thought train and just, okay, how can I love other people? How can we use our family time to bring other people into our home and bless them and love them during these seasons? Um, and to really practice selflessness and teaching our kids selflessness, particularly with the holidays. Um, and so I have seen God grow me in this, that I have a lot of joy in bringing other people, family and friends and whoever, into our home during the holiday seasons and sharing my family with them. Um, and it really does bring more joy than, you know, if you were just to be by yourself with just your family oh, yeah, all the time. I, I, I know that there's joy with just our families, and that is important. But I think that's probably our natural tendency is to want that more than we want to share. Um, and so that's why I say I would just encourage you to think, how can I be selfless with the holiday time? Um, but also, you know, be proactive in planning special, special times for your family to do something um, in addition to, to the holidays. I, I'm not going to give specifics of what we do because... We'll be able to talk about we that, talk at, about our that at the table. Yeah. Great. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Mackenzie, and thank you, Adrian and Andrea. That was so great and practical. Um, I know I am going to, I took some notes and I'm going to take some things home. Well, here's a little secret. I know there were many more questions that could have been asked. And probably you have a lot too. So let me give you two small pieces of advice after listening to today's Mom to Mom Talk. Number one, get together with other moms. Find a moms group and join it. If you're local to Toledo, Ohio, I want to encourage you to come to our Mom to Mom ministry that happens on the first Wednesday of each month during the school year. If you are not local to Toledo, then I want to encourage you to reach out to local churches in your area and find out what moms groups might be happening. Look for one that's biblical and join it and be involved. Secondly, even if you can't find a moms group, or if you do, I want to encourage you to get to know an older, seasoned mom. She's a lady who you can ask questions to, and you can get all kinds of information from her. And honestly, she can encourage you in the work that you're doing. So look around where you are and find a mom or maybe two that you could talk with. Invite them over for lunch or tea or a trip to the park with your kids. Ask them the easy questions. Go ahead and ask them the hard questions. But get to know them and look for ways to develop these relationships so that you can kind of learn and grow from these older women. Hey, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you today for this 
particular episode and the women who spoke and answered questions. I thank you that you have built us with a desire for relationships. And I pray that as women are thinking even now about what older seasoned mom they can go spend time with, I pray that you'd bring to their mind someone they can do that with. And I pray that you'd give the older seasoned moms the strength and wisdom to know how to love and care for the younger moms in their life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, speaking of questions you could ask, join us next week as we talk about a pretty common question that many of us ask. Well, I should actually say the first couple of words in that question is what we ask. And that is, what if? We're going to talk about all the things that come with the what ifs of life. You could probably think of some what ifs right now and well, you can join us next week as we talk about what do we do with all these what if questions and what does God say about what if questions? It's going to be a great episode. Remember when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress because of God until next time.